You now tuned in to the Gunk Town Podcast. I'm your boy Doug B. We ain't got nothing to talk about, but we got something to talk about. Let's go. Good people, good people, good people. Welcome back to the Gump Town Podcast, episode 103. I'm your boy, Doug B. If you tuned in to this podcast, thank you for your time and your attention. I really appreciate you giving this podcast a shot. Today's guest is the founder and owner of Edwards Essentials, LLC. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I'm sure we'll all be inspired by her story. Let's chop it up with Chrysler Edwards. Chrysler, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? Glad to hear that. All is well on my end, too. First things first, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to chop it up with me a few minutes. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. Yes, ma'am. Of course, we're here to talk about Edwards Essentials LLC and all the great things you got going on with the company. But before we talk business, let's get to know the woman behind the brand. What's your story? Um, Long story, <laughs> but uh, I'm a native <laughs> of Montgomery, uh, born and raised. I grew up on the west side of Montgomery neighborhood called Cedar Park, uh, majority of my life. Also moved around some from neighborhood to neighborhood and stayed in a lot of neighborhoods. People around here consider, I guess, the ghetto or the projects, whatever, like Gills Village, Patterson Court, and some other ones. Um, but I moved away um, when I was in college. I went to FAMU, went to Tallahassee for five years. Got my undergrad and my master's, came back in 2012 after I graduated with my first master's. My dad passed and I came home, been here ever since. Um, I started school again in 2014 and got a second master's in counseling and psychology and just been here working, trying to take care of my family and serve the community. Yes, ma'am. Thanks for sharing your story. Hometown hero. Grew up on the west side. Got up out of here, went down to Tallahassee. So what ultimately led to the decision to leave home? Well, growing up in Montgomery, it was hard uh, dealing with a lot of different things in the uh, neighborhoods that I grew up in. It was a lot of violence, a lot of killing, a lot of drugs. Um, so I saw a lot from an early age and experienced a lot. Um, almost losing my life many times, dealing with drive-bys, um, never knowing uh, some days about food on the table because we was real poor. Um, and But education was my outlet. I always was really good at school, even though I was bad <laughs> um, at school. <laughs> my teachers always say I talk too much. I was fighting because um, I, I had a younger sister. I have a younger sister. And so I felt like I had to protect her. Um, I used to get picked on and bullied because of the neighborhood that we stayed in and some of the stuff that was going on at home. So I had to be the big protector. I didn't have any older siblings. So I used to get in trouble at school a lot. Um, but education was my outlet. I always did really good at school. So um, sixth grade, I went to Southland Elementary um, and then went to middle school at Southland. And my high middle school principal, Miss Minot, I never forget her, um, I was always in her office and I saw her AKA stuff. I didn't know what AKA was, didn't know what it meant. And I, one day I asked, I was like, are those your initials or something? What are these letters and colors? And she sat me down and she talked to me about going to college and like basically turning my life around. And just from like talking to her, I was like, oh yeah, I want to go. I want to go do that. And she was like, well, you got to graduate school and go to college and, 
And I was like, well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to graduate high school. I'm going to go to college. So from that point on, between her and, and going through custody battles, um, that following year, uh, my dad got custody of me. So I moved with my dad and I went on the other side of town, the Capitol Heights. I went to the north side, away from my west side friends and people. Um, so I was in a whole nother different school and around people. And so my attitude changed, my surrounding changed. Um, so school became different and life became different in that aspect. And from there, high school, I went to magnet school, I went to BTW. And so from there, again, my environment, people changed, my surrounding changed for my friends that I was around in my education. Um, so it was just on and popping from there, being around different people, and being in an environment where I feel that felt that I can excel in my education and not be looked at as the outlaw because I wanted to do my schoolwork. Um, even though no matter where I came from, I still wanted to do my schoolwork. So from there, um, believe it or not, growing up, I never had an urge to go to college. And people always look at me like, what? Like, I never had an urge to go to college that was not in my plan of life. Because honestly, I didn't know if I was going to be living because of the neighborhoods and stuff that was going on around me, I didn't know if I was going to be still alive. Wow. So one of my friends, when I got to high school, we became friends probably like my junior year. I mean, she's like one of my best friends now. Her sister went to FAM. So we got into 12th grade. She talked about going to FAMU. And in my mind, I was staying here in Alabama because I was like, we can't afford to send me out of state. And let alone, I got to find some kind of money to go to college. So I was planning on going to University of Alabama and went to Alabama, had my roommate, picked out the dorm and everything. And one of my friends, she was like, hey, you ought to apply to FAM. And I was like, girl, my dad is not going to let me go out of state. And she was like, just apply anyway, just to see. So I applied. Within two weeks, I got an acceptance letter. I kind of threw it to the side. I didn't pay any attention to it. My daddy found the letter. And he was like, oh, when were you going to tell me that you were going to school in Florida? And I was like, well, I just did it to apply because my friend applied. I didn't I don't really know much about the school. So they had a parents and student orientation day. And we went to Tallahassee from the moment that we stepped on campus. It felt like home. And by the end of that weekend, we both were just like on the same wavelength of this is a place for me. Because at FAM, they separate the parents and the students when you come for orientation. And they do the parents their own orientation and the students their own orientation. So when we met back up at the end of the orientation, it was just like, wow, this is a place for me. And I never looked back. And I loved it. Wow, that's amazing. I appreciate you sharing your story and just all the stuff you went through growing up on the West Side and education being your outlet and I know you mentioned that your your father passed away. Sorry for your loss in that regard. Um, but you were able to move to the north side, get into a new environment. You saw, well, first things first, you, you saw that those AKA letters in your the principal's office and you got a chance to ask her about that. That's great. Like it's really amazing how those how those moments, how they, they may seem insignificant at that time, but just how influential like that one moment was. Like she was she sparked that. She gave you that, like, she gave you that encouragement word. Say, hey, you can't go to college. You just got to make some adjustments in your life. And you made all those pivots in your life. Ended up at magnet school. Ended up going to FAMU. What a journey. Like, that's that's really dope. I that's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. So you make it down to FAMU, Tallahassee. The HBCU yeah. 
Yes, ma'am. The HBCU experience. What was that like for you? It was amazing. It was an eye opener, <laughs> to say the least, <laughs> uh, because of, I don't know, it was just real different. Being on campus with all these people. I mean, when I came in the fam, it, we, my freshman class probably, we had one of the biggest freshman class doing, um, of that time. And you're talking to probably about 2,000 or more freshmen, just freshmen. And that's not everybody else that's on the campus. So it was it was new. It was very eye-opener uh, for me. But at the same time, I saw it as an adventure. And um, <laughs> I guess I don't really meet too many strangers. So from the moment that I got there, I just kind of started talking to people and maneuvering and making my way. Yes, ma'am. And that's one thing about the HBCU experience. I went to ASU and it's nothing like it. You get a chance to meet people from all, all over, East Coast, West Coast, down South, Midwest. I'm pretty sure that was the same experience for you. You met people from all over, huh? Yes. It was my first time being around Haitians. I didn't mm. know what Haitians were. <laughs> um, I can remember uh, hearing a guy talk and he was uh, talking in uh, Creole or Patois, one of them. And I asked him, I was like, what are you saying? And he told me, he was like, oh, I'm Haitian and I'm from Hades and this is our native language. And he was like, you're not from here, aren't you? I was like, no, I'm not. And he was like, what are you from? I from Alabama. He's like, I can tell. And I was like, why? How can you tell? He was like, one, your accent. And he was like, two, because most people around here just don't walk up to people and start talking to them like that. So he was like, I know you're different. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. I love to hear it. Like, just that great experience, making those great memories. So just in terms of if there was any culture shock, did you experience culture shock? I've been to Tallahassee once. You did? I really did. Being around, not just being around Black people, for me, it was being around so many educated Black people. Because I've always been around Black people, but it was been in the environment of so many well-educated Black people, men and women, and some of them actually willing to help you and not tear you down. That was the like the biggest culture shock to me, uh, being there. And of course, all the different other cultures uh, that were there, not just Black people. Like I said, we had Haitians, we had Jamaicans, we had people from all across the world, from California, from the D.C. area. Um, I mean, people from everywhere. So it was just, in that regards, it was amazing to me. At that time frame, going to college, I hadn't been to no other state before other than Alabama, Michigan, Ohio, Tennessee, Kentucky, like Southern states and uh, more in that regards. Um, in Florida. So like people that was from DC and California and these other places, I was just like amazed that they came so far to go to school. Absolutely. Same here. And like, I can definitely attest to what you're saying, just getting a chance to get exposed to those different cultures, those different ways of thinking. And it just makes for great memories. So it's nothing like the HBCU experience. I tell anybody that look like us, like go to HBCU at least for a year, just give it a shot. Yes. yes, give it a shot. Yes, ma'am. I've never been down there for homecoming. Tell me about the FAMU homecoming experience. What's it like? Homecoming is an experience at FAMU. It's a, <laughs> it's a movie. Uh, when I say <laughs> nice. it's, it's one of the best. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not just saying it because I went to FAMU, and maybe I am. Um, but I went to a couple of other people's homecoming before. But 
homecoming and fam to me is basically like a big fan reunion. You know, you go to your family, you see all your distant cousins or your aunts and uncles, people you haven't seen in a while. But when you all see each other, it's kind of like you're picking up where you left off and no time has passed and you're just going to have a good time and chill out. And then you're going to go your separate ways and you'll convene another time. That's basically what it is uh, with us at fam is, but it's so much more because some of the people that went to fam and coming back, we have so many different people doing amazing things across the world. So to actually be in the same environment and room, as these individuals that are doing all these amazing things that you're seeing on TV, on the news and things, is this like an aha moment that you can walk into a room and you're standing next to being Crump and having a conversation with him. You know how you see him on TV defending people, but you're actually right here in his prison to see some of these other individuals that are just doing, I just say remarkable things in movie and theater um, in social justice, medicine is is just remarkable. One of my neos, she is one the uh, first African American female to do her resident um in neurosurgery. Like that's amazing to know that I know this person and can reach out to them. And for me, it's just like I don't know. It's just an aha moment because it's like who, how many people have this opportunity and this honor to be around these people nice absolutely that family reunion just that homecoming experience getting a chance to see people you went to school with and it's like we go from party animals to like now we are yeah. professional but we still got that party animal in us just for one week right. then we right. go back to be professional <laughs> <laughs> yeah let man. your hair down a little and then you know you back to business on monday <laughs> right absolutely so i i heard you mention neo and i do know that you're you're an aka uh Lady of Alpha Cap Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Did you get a chance to uh, pledge an undergrad or uh, grad? Yes, or? I did. I pledged Beta Alpha Chapter at FAMU in spring 2009. Okay, so tell me about that experience, being able to actually be Greek in college. What was that like for you? Become Greek in college. It, it was a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> um, being um, a part of fraternity or sorority in undergrad because you for one you're young I was 19 um looking back now I'm like what did I know you know in doing making certain decisions about my life I don't regret them but it's just funny looking back now on things because it's like I was so young um and how our mind frames were doing that time frame when we came into the organization I loved it I'm one person. I have 57 other line sisters. It was 58 of us on the line. And my line sisters can attest to that. I'm one of the ones on the lines. I can tell you each one of my line sisters' name, something about them, where they're at in life now, what they're doing. And I keep up with everybody. Uh, uh, whether it's in our group meets, I'm one of the ones that I post in our group meets all the time. I set up the group meets to keep in contact with them. Like I visit them weddings i've probably been to mostly everybody on the line they got married their weddings baby showers um so i've always just tried to be that person to keep everyone connected um and just live like a life that i want to be celebrated when i'm gone off this earth you know because most people just think about when they're here but i think about it when i'm here but also when i'm gone like what would be that legacy what would people think about you and say about you to other people. Not that 
you care what people are saying um, about you in regards to how you're going to live your life. But I think it's important for us to think about legacy and how we treat people. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Legacy is definitely very important, very vital to leave a legacy. And to your point, being able to uh, have a lasting impact on people's lives, even after you, you're gone. So you got a chance to pledge in school. The most important thing is you pledge. You, I'm sure you party hard, had a great time, but you graduated. Like that's the most I, important. I, did. Thing. I graduated on time. That's exactly. Nice. I party and I graduated on time. I tell people that all the time because they <laughs> ask me, how did you get through all of that? Being at FAMU and y'all are considered like the party school. And I tell people it's all about time management and priorities because I knew when I got down there what my goal was. First and foremost, my goal was to get education. So besides anything else, that was my focus and my foundation. Everything else was subjective to me if I wanted to take part in it. The only thing that mattered, if I would have came back home with an education and nothing else, that still would have been fine with me. Absolutely. And like, that's great that you had your mindset when you went down there, like, hey, I'm coming back with a degree. I'm coming back with an education because it's real easy to go down to school, get to party, no matter where you go to college at. Because I've seen people from Montgomery attend ASU and just got a little too caught up, partied a little too hard, and just the priorities got out of whack. And it's it's very easy to do so. So I don't judge people that go and don't finish. However, there are select few people. There are select few people that have an intention. Hey, I'm gonna graduate no matter what to come my way. So good stuff. Graduated on time and ended up uh, coming back home and where you are now. Rocking and rolling, doing great things where Edwards Essential, which is the which is what I want to transition into next. What you got going on over there at Edwards Essentials LLC? So Edwards Essential LLC started out just being just strictly counseling. Uh, when I graduated with my second master's in counseling psychology in 2016, I started working as a counselor in 2017. And if you are a counselor or social work, any profession, you know that you have to get hours, basically residence hours type of thing for medical students. But in counseling, you have to get hours in to go towards your license, your professional licensure. So my job was putting hours towards that the, when I see clients at work. However, I felt that I wasn't getting enough hours. So I created me a company that I can be able to get some more counseling hours in to help towards my licensure and at the same time get some extra funds to pay towards my licensure because you have to pay a supervisor for your licensure and you have to pay for exams, the materials to study for the exams, all of those things cost and they add up. When you are a counselor, people think we make a lot of money, but we actually don't. And I worked in nonprofit. So I wasn't making that much money. So any little extra income like that was just going to help and be a plus to go towards the things that I needed. So I started out doing that. And then I started getting people to ask me to come speak at different events or different organizations about mental health or about trauma, because I was dealing with individuals dealing with domestic violence uh sexual assault and abuse and human trafficking so people started asking me to come and speak on those topics so as i started getting more and more 
gigs, I would say, of people um, asking me a speaking engagement, I started thinking like, hmm, maybe this is something that I need to look more into. So I started consulting with my supervisor and one of my other friends, and they were like, hey, well, aren't you the president of this organization? And don't you do this in the community? And don't you already do this? And they was like, do you realize the things that you're doing? You're already doing a lot of things that compensate consulting work. You just need to put it and apply it. And I was like, hmm, okay. So that's when I then added the LLC part of my company and then put on the consulting part and start being more marketable that way as I started doing things and getting my name out there. Just last year, um, the end of the year, I started working on rebranding and I launched my new rebranding this year in May uh, with um, more vibrant colors, the website, uh, to be more marketable in that area because I was getting a lot more exposure, which I'm very thankful for. But I just love it, being able to help people and basically give them information on the things that we should already be talking about. But it's such a taboo in our community that a lot of people don't want to talk about is mental health. Wow. Powerful stuff. Absolutely powerful. So would you say, well, let me ask you this. Did your upbringing and what you experienced growing up, is that what led you into this counseling space you're in now? Um, I would say yes and no. So originally my goal, my very first mind frame of what I wanted to be in life was an engineer and also a lawyer. So my heart was broken when I didn't get into Vanderbilt because they had a dual program of engineering and law. And so when I get, didn't get into Vanderbilt and couldn't do that program, they were the only one um, that had that program at the time that I can find. I had to decide between if I was going to engineering or doing law. So I chose law based on everybody saying, oh, you should be a lawyer. You're really good at talking. Um, and I just like helping people. That's just the bottom line of it all. I just like helping people. So I originally went to school to be a lawyer. So my undergrad is in political science and history. And going through undergrad, taking the LSAT, studying, I'm in a law fraternity and going through all of those things. By the end of my senior year in undergrad, I decided that I did not want to be a lawyer anymore because it was very, I'll say, consuming. And I took this professional development class my senior year. And that really just changed my mind frame on nonprofit world and how to get basically my mission out and help people in a different aspect than being in the courtroom. I always thought that the courtroom was the only place I could help people because growing up, I was always in court dealing with custody issues and seeing stuff that people lead into court because of the violence and trauma that was going on. So I thought that was the only way that I could uh, help people. And as growing up, most of the time, people only hear about being a doctor, being a lawyer, athlete as a way of a career and to make good money. So being able to go to college and see and hear about different other careers and paths that I could go on that would give me the same satisfaction was like, okay, this, this is what I need. So from that point on, um, I switched over from law and 
that's how I got into my first master's. I went back for public administration because I wanted to learn on the business end, the back end of how to run a business and deal with people in human resource side. Because now I want to, my goal is to get my PhD so that I can be a board certified psychologist and be able to help people more on the business end and also just more people in low income communities. Wow. Talking about a pivot. So you went from one to be a lawyer and ended up changing your mind and making that pivot into what you're doing now. Yes. That's amazing. I appreciate you being transparent about that. And uh, yeah, I, Hey, listen, it's only um, it's only a select few uh, people who would even have the courage to want to go to law school. You wanted the few. I never had the courage. I was like, hey, I'm going to school for IT. And that's it. Because <laughs> um, I know, it's like you said, it's very time consuming going to law school, passing the bar, doing all that good stuff. But you were able and you are you're, you're currently doing it. You're making an impact on people's lives. And it's just not in the arena that you originally set out, but you're able to make that pivot into what you're doing now. So just in terms of what's the most rewarding part about what you do as a counselor and what and and how do you overcome how have you overcame a challenging client or situation? Mm, I guess the most challenging part is dealing with resistant clients, clients that they really need counseling, but they don't want to go. And people that don't know the benefit of it because they're afraid that stigma of I don't tell outside of my household or what are, what are you going to tell me? I've had clients that are older than me before. One lady asked me, she was like, what is your little young tail going to tell me? You know, I've had individuals question um, just my education, you know, did you really get that degree? How do I know that's real? You know, those type of things. It, it's like those things like that. But again, I see those as challenges as some people may see those as barriers and shut down because I take don't, that on as, let me educate you. Let me show you, let me prove to you. Then if you're not satisfied, then that's a different story. So I can say that I've had really good feedback and interaction with clients before. Even the most stubborn ones, I've had really good feedback from them once I got into open up. I had one client before a few years ago, very first time this lady came, I think it was her first two or three sessions. She literally just came in my office and just sat and looked at me her whole hour. Her whole 55 minutes that she was wow. in there, she just sit and stared at me. And I sit and stared at her back. Um, I <laughs> asked her a few questions like, hey, how you doing today? Um, fine. You know, that's her answer. Just fine. And she sat there like, hey, you want something to drink? You want something, to, you know, snack? No, I'm good. Okay. Asked her, say, do you have anything you want to talk about today? No, I'm good. And she just sat there. And then at the end of her time, I made her aware of the time and I asked her, I said, well, I hope to see you again. Are you, do you want to know the appointment? Yes. Yeah, same time next week. Wow. And she made the appointment to come back and sit and then the following week. And then she did the same thing. I think it was about her third session when she really started talking to me. And after that, she stayed with me probably for about two, maybe two or three years. She did not want to leave. Wow. Uh, I mean, and that's, Hats off to you for not forcing her. Like you, like you said, she came in and she didn't want to talk. You just sat there and 
You did what she did. You looked at her, she looked at you, and eventually she opened up. Cause and that just speaks to your patience and just being aware and being able to read the room because I know I know counseling isn't um like you said, it's taboo in our community and I myself like started going to therapy a couple of years ago and it's one of the best things, one of the best investments that I I still make to this day. And I highly believe everyone, especially people who look like you and I, to go to therapy. Even if you think you're good, you probably it's it's something, it's something there. It's something that you've been through, whether it was in school or whether it was a, an upbringing, like something happened in your upbringing. So that's that's great that you were able to be patient with that that client. Yeah, because I saw because I knew that she had gone through some traumatic things in her life because I had I was just with her when uh, getting her rape exam because she had she was recently raped during that time frame. So I was with her when she got a rape exam and, and she didn't really say too much. But that's normal. Most people don't really talk too much when they're getting a rape exam. Um, so I knew, hey, it's something um that this lady has gone through and I didn't know about all her past things she had gone through leading up to that point until she opened up. But she was just a person that just has so much on the inside and been holding in and trying to be that quote unquote strong person, um, a mother, a grandmother. And she just didn't know how to verbalize all of those things and who to talk to because she had been burned before in the past. Wow. Wow. That's, that's powerful stuff that you were able to get her to talk and open up and, and, and all that good stuff. Like that's, that's great stuff. So you being a certified therapist, counselor, dealing with people and their problems all day long and helping them solve their problems. How do you decompress? The gym where I'm getting ready to go in a few. Nice. <laughs> um, I love hanging out with my family, uh, with my friends, traveling. That is my thing. And my favorite hobby of all time is sleeping. I sleep much as I can when I can. And I know people ask me all the time, when do you sleep? Because you're always busy and doing stuff. But believe it or not, I sleep every chance I get <laughs> to get some sleep in. I am like the nap queen of just taking me a nap of going somewhere to get me some sleep. Um, but I also have a therapist. You know, all jokes aside, I tell people this all the time. Therapists need a therapist because you got to have somebody to talk to to unload on when you get through working. Because at the end of the day, you still got your own personal life of things that you have to deal with. Just because you are a therapist or people think they go to therapy and that therapist that their life is perfect. And that's so far fetched. Like nobody life is perfect. Just like I'm handling my personal life. And then on top of that, I'm trying to help somebody else reach their highest potential to learn how to cope and prioritize their life. Not saying that, oh, I have mastered it all. It just means that I have some type of skills that I'm willing to share with the next person to help get them balanced. Wow. Appreciate you sharing that. Like, that's great that you travel, go to the gym, spend time with your family. And in my opinion, that last part you mentioned about having a therapist, it adds credibility to you as a therapist because it lets, it just, it pretty much, it lets your clients know like she's human. Like she's not coming off as some person, oh, I'm here to help you, but I don't need help. Like that's great that you go to therapy yourself. And you are you already know how powerful it is on both ends, like being the being the person that's giving the advice and or being a person that's sitting on somebody else's couches and 
been your problem. So it's oh, you see it both ways. Right. Definitely. Yes, ma'am. So whenever I have entrepreneurs on the platform like yourself, I like to cover three things. The aha moment, action, and audacity. You pretty much already covered what led you to form your LLC. You were already doing the work. So in terms of after you had your initial aha moment, how long did it take you to take action towards coming up with a name and actually getting started in business? It actually took me a while. Well, the name part didn't take me that long because I wanted something goes back to the legacy. I'm my dad's only child. I'm a female. So people automatically thinks and knows that when a woman gets married, she's going to lose her last name. So my whole mind frame since I lost my father is what can I do to protect his legacy and my legacy of that name and that brand. So I wanted the company name to have something dealing with my last name and something that's very powerful and meaningful, not only to me, but to other people when they see it and they think of that name. And essentials popped in my mind because I start putting together, why do people come to counseling? They come to get the essential things they need for life. And why are you doing this work? You're doing this to be essential to others. So it just fit right in the puzzle for me to coming up with the name Edwards Essential. Hmm. Legacy. Going back to that word. So word that that makes all the sense in the world, how you came up with the name. So you get the business started, rocking and rolling. And that last mm -hmm. portion. So it takes it's one thing to have an aha moment. It's another thing mm -hmm. to put action behind the idea and bring it to fruition. It's a whole other thing to put it out to the world to be praised or criticized. That's where the audacity comes in. Who or what gave you that courage, that audacity, put it out there to the world? I mean, honestly, just myself, just taking just taking a leap out there and see how it goes. Because when I first started telling, like, for one family um, that I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore, I got criticized and saying that, you know, I want to be a counselor and I'm going to work with people dealing with mental health. You know, essentially, I got, oh, you want to work with crazy people. Why do you want to do that? You're not going to make money. You know, why would you want to do this type of thing? And what what if happens to you? This happened. And so. I was just like, you know, this is my life and I just got to put it out there and see how it goes. And of course, I wasn't prepared at first when I put my business out there, meaning that I didn't have everything all together. But I was just like, hey, I'm going to put it out there and see how things go. And I'm willing to grow with the time and see how receptive it is. And I'll say for the first year, I probably didn't get any type of movement, action, um, anything really, because it was nobody really paid it attention until I say myself, I started putting myself out there more and talking to people and going and saying, Hey, let me go talk to this group pro bono. Can I come to your church? Can I come to your organization? Just asking people, can, can I do certain things? And then that's when people start noticing the work. I say my brand, my name. Oh, now people call me all the time or they tag me and stuff or they hit me up like, hey, hey, somebody just was talking about something about mental health. And I told them these people to call you. People call me, email me. Hey, such and such gave me your name, your email, your phone number. They say you do mental health work. They say you do this. And I take this blessings because people don't have to mention your name in places that you're not at. And when sometimes when people do that and put you on, that's nothing but a blessing because people don't have to do anything. 
Absolutely. And that's powerful. And that's good stuff. You gave yourself the audacity. And despite what people may, might have been saying about you making that career change, you believed in yourself and you started, like you said, started networking. And that's what it's all about. Having that courage, that self-confidence. And hey, with God, all things are possible. Thanks. Yes, ma'am. So you've done great things with Edwards Essential LLC. And I know great things are coming down the pipeline, which leads to my next portion, vision. What is some of your short-term and long-term goals? Um, Definitely long-term. Well, I say more mid-term. I won't say short. I don't want to say long. But mid-term goal, like I mentioned earlier, I do want to get my PhD in counseling psychology to be a board-certified psychologist. Uh, African-American Black women, we are the 2% of psychologists in the world. It's like hardly any. And that's hard to believe for some people. Like, well, I see black women and they are they have their PhD or they may be a psychologist or something, but it's very slim. I know a few women that have a PhD that are actually psychologists or psychiatrists, and it's very slim to the fact that men or white men or white women um have this degree in this career field, have been doing it for years. And not too many people that our psychologists are actually counselors because they just go right through college and go probably a psychology undergrad, get a master's in it, and then go into a PhD program. But that still is not giving you that view of the other side of actually counseling people and hearing the ins and out of people's troubles and their struggles that they're going through instead of just pushing medication down people's throats sometimes because that's what people mind frame is when they hear about going to a psychiatrist or psychologist they automatically think about they just finna throw me some medication which it should be deeper than that trying to get to the core issue of what's going on with a person than just medication and to me that's where that counseling aspect come in at that human relations part of understanding people and talking to them and get into the core of what has happened to you. Not what's wrong with you, but what has happened to you. Mm, amazing. Hey, that PhD is a great goal. I have no doubt you're going to knock it out and make it happen. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes, ma'am. As we wrap up the podcast, I want to ask a million dollar question. I started this podcast to highlight the greatness connected to the city, whether you were born here or lived here for a significant period of your life, be it college, military, or work. You being a hometown hero, what makes you the most proud to be from the Gump? Everything. I love being from a historical place and seeing the potential of what Montgomery has come from this point and where we are going to go. Um, growing up here, this city has come a long way um, to today frame of where it's at. It's not the best, but hey, I don't feel like nowhere in the world is going to be perfect. It is where you make it. And I'm excited to see where our city grow. I believe in our city. And I'm going to support it because I feel like I can do more for my own city than going somewhere else and trying to help that city move forward when I could have did the same work here at home. Absolutely. Without a doubt. So, Chrysler, how can the people connect with you? What are your social media handles and website? Well, they can hit me up on LLC.com. That is my website. Or they can send me an email. It's edwardsessentials.com at gmail.com and my name Crystal Edwards is on Instagram is on Facebook just shoot me a message um send me an email go on my website 
sign up, receive newsletters, or just write me a comment on there. If you need a speaker, uh, you need someone to come in and talk to a group, or you need some resources dealing with counseling, even though I may not be able to help you, I'm always able to reach you to someone else that may be able to help you and serve you in that purpose. So, Yes, ma'am. And of course, I'll put all of the information in the description of the episode. Hey, Chrysler, thanks again for the conversation. I really appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So honored to be on your show. Yes, ma'am. The people that concludes another dope episode of the Gumptown Podcast. In the meantime, in between time, y'all know what to do. Be blessed, be safe, but most importantly, have the audacity to be you. Gone. Thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate your time and your attention. Until next time.